0: This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and you're listening to Martin Luther's sermon on the text Matthew chapter seven, verses fifteen to twenty-three, preached on the eighth Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation that is in the public domain. First, the gospel reading, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Luther's Sermon This text is a part of the long sermon of the Lord on the Mount, as St. Matthew describes in chapters 5, 6, and 7. This the Lord saw proper to add because he knew that wherever God builds a church, the devil will also build a saloon or tavern at the side of it. Or, as the nursery story shows, when God formed a beautiful man out of the dust of the earth, the devil wanted to imitate him, but his work proved to be frogs and snakes. For it has always been the case that when the true doctrine was preached and spread, the devil mixed in false doctrine and heresy. This you may see in a garden. Though we sow nothing but good seed, yet tares will grow also, and it requires much labor to subdue the tares and to preserve and raise the good seed. As then we can expect nothing else on earth than to be subject to the devil, who has the world under his control and is always sowing his tares, our Lord, as the faithful teacher and shepherd of our souls, admonishes us in our text to beware of false prophets. It is though he would say, I have given you my word, and have taught you what to do, how to understand the Ten Commandments, how to trust in God and to call upon Him in prayer, and also how to do good works. Now, all depends on your care that ye be not led away from this doctrine. I warn you, and you will have no excuse. For I did not send you among angels, but among wolves, and do not sow you among wheat, but in the midst of tares. Therefore, beware, lest you be misled. It is thus the will of the Lord that, we should cleave to the word and not suffer ourselves to be led astray. Whatever is in opposition to the word, we are to hate and flee from, as from the devil himself. For this reason, we should never be secure or fall asleep, as has been said before, wherever the word is in its purity, wolves will not stay away, but will surely come. This is also to be seen, in, first of all, in the church, and then also in the civil government and in the family. Everywhere the wolf will interfere and try to lead us away from the word and do us harm. The Christian Church has the true and pure Word of God. This the devil hates to see and therefore introduces all kinds of fanatics who bring in new and strange doctrines concerning baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the person of Christ, thereby to confuse and mislead the people. And when such fanatics arise, we wicked and inquisitive people have the bad habit, which sticks to us like the plague, to run after them as soon as we hear their novelties and fall away from the Word. Hence, such a warning is highly necessary, as though Christ would say, false prophets will not be wanting, but will surely come, and that in a beautiful and enticing guise, so that you will think that you never heard a better sermon in all your life, and the consequence will be that you will fall away like unripe and worm-eaten fruit when the wind sweeps it over. Whose fault will this be? Not mine, for I warn you, but yours, because you hear and have the word, but do not adhere to it. For if a Christian were careful, Though he had nothing more than the Catechism, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, and the words of the Lord concerning baptism and the sacrament of the altar, he could thereby defend himself and resist all heresies. But because we hear the Word so carelessly with hearts inattentive that do not adhere to the Word, the devil approaches such hearts and leads them into gross and palpable errors. The Lord would warn us against this, that we might not retain such hearts, but consider how we may take firm hold of the Word of God. For he does not send us among angels, but among wolves, where great care is necessary. Whoever, therefore, would be safe here and not err, Christ says, must adhere to my word. This is the true light which I have lifted for you, and the armor by which you can resist the darts of the devil, though he does come to you in sheep's clothing. It is dreadful, and all the more dangerous to us, that when the devil comes to us in his, in his factious spirits, he does not come like a devil, but, dis- but disguised as though he were God himself. Thus he also came to our Lord Jesus when he said, I will give thee all the kingdoms of the world if thou wilt fall down and worship me. These were not words for the devil to speak, but belonged to the high majesty, to the eternal God. God only should be worshipped. To him alone belong all kingdoms, and he bestows them upon whomever he pleases. Therefore the Savior rebukes him, saying, Get thee hence, Satan, as though he would say, Thou wouldst like to be looked upon as God, but I know thee, thou art the devil. Therefore, we should not suffer ourselves to be deceived by the sheep's clothing, for then we would have to accept and hear the devil in place of God. He comes to us in his schismatics, fanatics, and heretics, not like a wolf, but in sheep's clothing. These will make use of the word of God or the scriptures, speak much to the praise of Christ and the Holy Ghost, pretend to know everything better than others, and in all this assume a form by which they draw many people to do a great deal of harm." And besides this, they lead a strict, externally praiseworthy life on account of which some might be ready to take an oath that all about them is holiness and that their intentions are right and good, whilst in fact it is all the miserable devil, as we see in the Anabaptists, sacramentarians, and others. When therefore the heart is careless and idle and does not give strict heed to the word, the devil enters by the heresy of such teachers like a snake into a man sleeping in the grass. Therefore, we, would be, we should diligently heed the faithful warning of Christ and not stand and stare with open mouth at everything new. On the contrary, we should diligently hear the word and adhere to it and examine and judge all doctrines by the word. Then the devil will not so easily do us injury. The same is experienced in the management of civil government, which, as it were, is an example and pi- picture of the Christian church. If our magistrates themselves are careless and indolent, not attending to their office and seeing that their laws are enforced, the land will be full of hypocrites. They trust here and trust there and depend on their officials, but these manage affairs to suit themselves. Meantime, the poor are oppressed, and God finally comes with heavy visitations. It will never do for high officers to commit great and important affairs into the hands of others to trust everybody without seeing unto things themselves. They should themselves look into matters and see how the government is managed and not trust any further than they see, for then they would be far less deceived. So it is also in the family. When the master and mistress are snoring, leaving everything to the domestics and depending entirely upon them, things will go according to the proverb, Confidence rode away with a horse. It is true, we must and should trust. Distrustful people who have confidence in nobody are an abomination, But we should keep within proper bounds and not trust too much without looking after things themselves, thus giving domestics occasion to sin. Domestics, too, should not be secure, but should diligently observe the command of their employers and not be misled by bad company. For how can it be well if, when father and mother say to the child or to the master and mistress to the servants, Do this, the latter are persuaded by their comrades or companions not to do it, Or to do something else, taking a walk, playing, carousing, whilst they should work at home and do what they were bidden. These careless companions may not appear to mean any evil. They speak very kindly, but because they lead to disobedience, they are doing the devil's work. Him you must not follow. Many a manservant or maidservant has a good place with honorable and pious people who do not tolerate licentiousness and frivolity in their domestics. What does the devil accomplish by wicked tongues? One comes here and another there, saying, Why do you suffer yourself to be confined and kept so strictly? You might have a much better chance somewhere else where you would have more liberty, less hard work, and more comfort. A good, simple-hearted person may easily be persuaded by words like these, not suspecting evil intentions, but rather supposing those honeyed tongues to be good friends to him, while in fact they are his worst enemies." For to a young person, nothing is more injurious than to let him have his own way and not to urge him to honesty and industry. Thus the wolf will make his appearance everywhere and lead away from the word. For the devil can neither endure the word in the churches, nor a strict supervision in the state, nor obedience in the family, but seeks to overthrow all that God has ordered as well in the family and the state as in the church. It is the will and appointment of God that his word should be maintained in the church, good discipline and laws in the state, and strict obedience in the family. But the devil is always at work to destroy such pious, necessary, and wholesome order. Therefore we should be very watchful and not feel secure, uh, for we do not live amongst perfectly sanctified Christians. The largest portion of them is wicked and deceitful, adorning themselves with sheep clothing and hiding the nature of the wolves. But this is most frequent and most dangerous in the church. Here, all schismatics, fanatics, and heretics pretend to be much concerned about the salvation of souls and very anxious to retain the Word in its purity and to promote the spread of the truth. When the poor sheep behold this sheep's clothing, they imagine that all is pure gold. Grasp for it and embrace it. For who would not like to hear God's Word and know the truth? But Christians should remember that the devil can speak about the truth and praise God's Word just as well as pious Christians. Therefore, they should tell him, "'I love to hear God's Word and truth,' But I will not be too confident. I will inquire first whether it agrees with my catechism and the doctrines which I have learned. Whoever thus uses caution, not believing everything, but giving attention to the word, will be safe and not be deceived. But he that will not do this will most assuredly be misled. This was the experience of Eve in paradise. The devil approached her with smooth language and represented God as so good that he could be displeased with nothing He has given you the whole garden, says the devil, and permitted you to enjoy its fruit. Why should he reserve this one tree, which will never harm you, but will serve to make you wise as God himself? These were smooth and sweet words, which found acceptance with ease and even caused her to forget the command of God, or if she did not forget it, she doubted it. This caused her ruin. At first, when the devil approached her, she acted wisely and warded him off by pointing to the command of God. But when he persisted and contented, Contended that God would be an envious and unfaithful God who would not suffer them to become as wise as Himself if He had exempted the one tree, she abandoned the word, plucked the apple, and ate it, by which she and all of us were plunged into all misery and eternal death. On account of s- such danger, that we may not be misled by the devil and his apostles, the Lord here warns us, saying, Beware, as though He would say, if you are deceived, the fault is not mine but yours. For I have given you my word, and pure, pure and unadulterated, which should be your shield and light upon your path. Keep this in view. Never lose sight of it. Follow it closely. If you hear anyone speak aught that does not agree with it, say at once, I will not listen. Here is my light, which directs me otherwise. Thus the Lord has sufficiently protected us by giving us his word and by admonishing us to beware of false prophets. He bears no blame. But we are without excuse if we do not adhere to the word, but listen to the noise of the wolf, though we are warned of danger. The devil is a liar and a murderer, always desirous of misleading and destroying us. This he has done from the beginning in paradise, leading Adam and Eve and all their descendants into sin, death, and the wrath of God. From this misery our merciful God and Father in heaven, through his Son, has delivered us so that we are free from sin and death. Therefore our enemy lurks about seeking to mislead us and bring us from the state of grace into the old wretchedness. Hence we should be careful and faithfully cleave to the word, else we are lost. This is to be noted in general concerning our text for simple instruction, inasmuch as the Lord bids us to beware of false prophets and to adhere to the word and not to depart from it, but to shun everything in opposition to the word, as we would the devil himself. This too would be sufficient, for whoever, as we have said, follows the light... Of the word and does not lose it out of sight is well secured. But the Lord is not content to give only these general instructions, He also gives two rules to us Christians, by observing which they are to lead on in safety. The first is that they do not suffer themselves to be deceived by the sheep's clothing and to form their judgment by it. Wolves, when they are hungry, will bark and howl like dogs in order to deceive man or beast. False prophets do the same. They appear in beautiful garb, pretend to be very pious, etc. Nobody should pay any regard to this. This is one rule, and it is of very great importance. The sheep's clothing, in which false spirits dress and adorn themselves, consists in the first place in this, that none of them admits that he deceives the people and preaches heresy. They come using smooth and gentle language, pretending to be prompted by the zeal of God and to be able no longer to see the misery of the poor people who have been deprived of the truth so long. Language like this common people are not accustomed to hear from wicked men. Therefore, they yield to it at once and think that what these sneaks say or do is pure holiness. A Christian, however, should learn to know, as we have stated before, that the devil does not come like the devil, but appears like God himself. Neither do these wolves come like wolves, but in sheep's clothing, in order that those not knowing them may take them for innocent and pious sheep. Again, the sheep's clothing is the office or calling in the high and glorious titles, Experience teaches that the Pope and bishops have done the greatest harm by extolling their office and by urging that, on that account, their ordinances must be obeyed. Though their life is of such a nature that no one could be enticed or misled by it, yet they have great influence on account of their public office in the Church. As the Lord says of the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. And we cannot deprive them of this honor. We must acknowledge them to hold their office, which is right in itself, if they would only rightly exercise it. Therefore, when the Pope and the bishops extol their office and on this account demand obedience, as if they could not err, a Christian should take warning and say, I know the office well, it is a sheep's clothing. But Christ admonishes me not to rest content when I see the sheep's clothing, but that I should examine whether there is not a wolf concealed under it, that is, whether it is not an ungodly knave that exercises the office and that would, under such cover, introduce false doctrine." Furthermore, the fact also that false prophets make a good external appearance and lead a blameless life belong to the sheep's clothing. This is seen in some of the Anabaptists. They use no profane language. In dress, eating, and drinking, they are modest. The word of God they use constantly. They pray much, are patient in tribulation, and are not revengeful. In itself, there's nothing wrong in this. Yea, it would be desirable that in this respect all men were like them. But we not, must not on that account regard their doctrine as right, nor follow them, because Christ says, Beware of them. Beneath the sheep's clothing you will find a wolf. For the Anabaptists, like the monks, rest their hopes upon their own righteousness and works. They make God a liar by not trusting in his promise, inasmuch as they surf- suffer themselves to be baptized again, and thus bringing to naught the first and true baptism, They teach false doctrine concerning the Lord's Supper, as though it consisted of mere bread and wine. They lay unnecessary burdens upon Christians. They rend family ties, say it is wrong to hold property, and despise civil government as unchristian. They thus pervert and undermine all three institutions of God, namely of the church, the state, and the family. Such a dangerous and disgraceful wolf is hid beneath the beautiful and smooth skin of the saintly external life Of the Anabaptist, the same has been been the case with the life of the monks and nuns, who seemed so holy that the whole world was cheated and deceived by them. But God's word lays such deceit bare, and the wolf is discovered in the sheep's clothing. Great gifts are also used as sheep's clothing, concerning which the Lord here says, "Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works?" It is necessary for a Christian to beware of such people so as not to be captivated by them and without much consideration accept and believe all they say. But on the contrary, keep in view the word and see whether there is no wolf under the sheep's clothing. This is the first rule, that we should beware and not be deceived by the wool on one's back. Though the words are fine, the office right, the external life without offense, and the gifts exhibited great and extraordinary, yet we may be misled and deceived. The good works... The good words may contain dangerous poison. The right office may give occasion for great abuse. The spurious life may be deceitful. And the great gifts may cover a wicked heart. Therefore, as soon as you see the sheep's clothing, you should think, Here I am not safe. For Christ tells me that wolves also appear and hide themselves in sheep's clothing. Hence, I must lift the sheep's clothing and see what is under it. How this is done, the Savior explains. He gives us a second rule, that we should not judge by external appearances, But inquire after the fruits. By their fruits ye shall know them, he tells us. He illustrates this by a parable. No one among you, seeing a thorn or thistle in the field, is foolish enough to go and search whether it does not bear grapes or figs, No, such fruit we expect from a different tree, which is not so prickly or thorny. So it is with a garden. When a tree is full of apples or pears, everyone is seeing the tree will explain, Behold, what a good tree this is. Again, when a tree has no fruit, or all is wormy and imperfect, everyone will say, The tree deserves to be cut down and thrown into the oven, that room may be made for a better one. This manner of judging, the Lord says, applies also to false prophets. Then you will not be deceived. May the appearance be as it will. If a wolf were covered with twenty sheepskins, you would still detect him and not be deceived by him. But what is the fruit of a true prophet or preacher, by which it may be known that he is no wolf but a good sheep? It is not external life, title, office, or special gifts or graces. The Lord testifies, and our experience teaches, that people are often deceived and misled by these. The true fruit is produced, as the Lord informs us toward the close of our text, by doing the will of our Father which is in heaven. We must notice that the Lord is here not speaking of all Christians in general, but of prophets in particular. It is true all Christians are required to do the will of the Father, and to be saved thereby, But to do the will of the Father does not mean to keep the commandments and in this to be obedient to God, for as in this life it is impossible to do this perfectly, we could not boast of having done the will of the Father and could not therefore enter into heaven. But Christ tells us what it is to do the will of the Father, John 6. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the only way in which both preachers and hearers should walk, if they desire to be saved. But here the Lord addresses preachers, or prophets in particular, their true and only fruit is nothing else than to proclaim this will of the Father faithfully, and to teach the fact that God is gracious and merciful and does not desire the death of the sinner, but rather that he should live, and that God has manifested such mercy by giving his only begotten Son to become man. Whoever receives the Son of God and believes in him, that is, whoever accepts the comfort that God will, for his Son's sake, be gracious unto him, forgive him his sins, and give him everlasting salvation. And whoever teaches this doctrine in its purity, and leads the people to Christ, the only mediator between God and man, the same is doing the will of God. And this is the true fruit by which no one can be deceived and misled. If it were possible for the devil to preach this doctrine, it would thereby not become false and erroneous. Whoever would believe in it would still have what it promises. This fruit, which is the most prominent and the surest, and which is infallible, is also accompanied by others, namely, that the life does not contradict this doctrine, but is in harmony with it. But this is to be regarded as a true fruit only when the first fruit, the doctrine of Christ, has appeared. For the doctrine may be all right, whilst the life or practice is wrong and offensive. Therefore, we must have chief regard not to the life, but to the doctrine. And we shall be prepared to distinguish a sheep from a wolf coming to us in sheep's clothing. Whoever therefore would judge the Pope and his church should begin with the first fruit, and he will soon find that their doctrine concerning salvation and forgiveness of sins is not based on Christ alone, but also on all kinds of works, such as monastic vows, celebration of the Mass, indulgences, and the merits of the saints. These are shameful, poisonous, and piercing thorns, which are not found on any fig tree or grapevine. In the second place, pay attention also to the life. In this respect, we see that the Pope and all his adherents will have to withdraw from all ordinary obedience. They are enemies of the Word and of Christians and persecute, mistreat, and kill the latter whenever they can, live in shameful debauchery and idleness, and devour the substance of the church in their laziness in short there is not a particle of good in all their life when these two fruits coincide so that both doctrine and life are evil you may be sure of having sharp thorn and thistles from which you can expect no grape and no fig and you should still endeavor to find them you will find you will not only be disappointed but will be well scratched beside It does not matter that the vine has such rough bark and the fig tree such tender wood whilst the thorn has such smooth bark and such fragrant and beautiful blossoms and flower. The fruit is the main thing and not the external appearance, Judge by the fruit and by nothing else. The punishment of false prophets our Lord points out by the parable of the bad tree, which will be cut down and cast into the fire. And the same fate of false prophets shall be shared by their followers if they do not accept the true doctrine nor bring forth good fruit. Therefore, let us heed the Word of God and diligently learn it and adhere to it. Then let us also order our lives according to that Word, bringing forth good fruit and learning to know and avoid all false doctrine. May our Lord Jesus Christ grant this through His Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this has been Martin Luther's Sermon on Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 23. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more Luther sermons and the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. And to see some of the other stuff that I'm cooking along, you can visit my website at www.wolfmuller.co. www.wolfmuller.co. God's peace be with you.